Welcome back to Veterinary Vibes, the podcast where we vibe so you can thrive. We're at it again, another season. Season two is here, and we're thrilled to continue our exploration of all things veterinary medicine. I'm your host, Garth Robillard, and today we're talking with Dr. Dan Phillips. Dr. Dan Phillips is a 2011 graduate from North Carolina State University College of Veterinary Medicine. After graduation, he completed a rotating small animal internship at Tufts prior to moving to Chicago area where he's been ever since. After moving to Chicago, he spent his first four years working in a combination general and ER practice. In the fall of 2016, he met two mentors that forever changed the course of his life and career by challenging and supporting him to identify and achieve a variety of professional goals. With the help of his mentors, Dr. Dan has trained several new graduate veterinarians, led a large group of hospitals in a five-state territory, as well as built his own mentorship and training company for new graduate DBMs. He now focuses exclusively on aligning top veterinary students with hospitals and clinical mentors that can help new graduate veterinarians achieve and surpass their goals. Guys, this episode is action-packed full of gold nuggets. We're going to be breaking down the importance of role utilization, mentor-mentee relationships, qualities of a great veterinarian, how to navigate the job search, how to ask the right questions, and how to identify those red flags. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Dr. Dan Phillips, thanks for coming on the show today. And we're in excited. Sunny, I'm excited to be here, man. We're in sunny Orlando, Florida at VMX. We are. Out by a pool. Yeah. With high winds and small children running around. So. Hey, listen, it's better than the uh, 50 mile an hour winds and the uh, zero degree temperatures from the blizzard that I just left in Chicago. Um, I got out just before all the flights started getting canceled. So I'll take this all day. Oh, Man, and I was complaining about the little turbulence we had on landing. Yeah, my my Uber my Uber driver on the way over was like, "Yeah, it was pretty chilly yesterday. It was it was down to 68." I'm like, "Yeah, it must be brutal." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're out in sandals and a tank top in 68. It was, yeah, I was, yeah. I went for a long jog this morning. It felt great. Nice, so, nice. Yes. Well, uh, VMX, huh? the end all be all of conferences. It is the, the big Bertha of this year. Is apparently they said it's the, the highest attendance to ever exist at VMX is this year. Did you know that? I didn't. I can kind of believe it though. I think that during um, the pandemic, obviously, a lot of um, you know a lot of attendance was really really down for obvious reasons, and then um, people were just kind of looking for opportunities to kind of get back and and connect. Sure, the CE is wonderful, but it's really about kind of the opportunities to maybe connect outside of the lecture halls that are really the probably the main attraction for most folks that end up going down to uh to the bigger conferences and so um yeah I, i'm glad to see the the attendance really starting to pick back up at the big ones here um the last year or so yeah and, and it's cool to see you know for those of you who don't know when you get to this conference you sign in and you essentially get told your title on the bottom of your card so everybody knows who you are right yep so you'll see veterinary and you'll see support staff nurse technician student, et cetera. And um, they're also color coordinated. So you don't even need to read it. You just need to memorize what the colors That's mean. right. Little badge, little badge ribbons. So yeah, it's it's super cool because just walking around, uh, I noticed a lot of students here, a lot of veterinary students. And to think that students are actually admiring and, and uh, are encouraged to network, uh, especially in whatever aspect of their career yeah. uh, or their educational career they're in right now is pretty hard. Right. Because in veterinary school, we get maybe one business class, really. Yeah, it's a uh, it's definitely it's definitely a challenge um, to kind of recognize the value of that. It's something that I absolutely wish I could go over and do again if I could when it goes back to when it goes back to kind of 
what I've learned later or throughout the last decade plus of my career versus thinking back to vet school is um, I really didn't think about and um, see the value in taking advantage of those opportunities and building that network. Um, I really thought that doing everything that I could from a studies perspective and performing as well as I could in the classroom was probably going to be the end all be all and helping me get kind of wherever I needed to go. Um, and in hindsight, that was really, it couldn't have been further from the truth, basically. Um, and it, it, it truly is about um, who you know, the individuals that you have in your corner, um, and the opportunities that they can help provide for you personally, professionally, whatever, whatever that may be. And um, that's certainly been the case for me over the last six, eight plus years of my career, for sure. So very thankful for finally seeing the light and being able to develop that network. So do you think uh, it would have propelled you further and made things easier if you had that mindset, maybe during vet school or just coming out of vet school? Oh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, I think the if I had had that mindset to expand that network sooner and slow down at least a little bit to think about my goals, that was the other real struggle that I had. I focused mostly on just trying to work as hard as possible, but not always knowing exactly kind of where I wanted that to go or really having a vision for that. Um, and I think when you combine eventually figuring out a path and some goals that you're working towards, it doesn't mean that they can't change. It doesn't mean that they can't evolve. And my goals changed over time too. And my career has had several turns in, in, in it over the last um, 14 years. It doesn't mean that they, those goals can't change, but certainly having some goals that you're working towards and people in your corner that you know that can open some doors for you or give you some time to help you get there and then hopefully you reciprocate for someone else in the future um, that's been a game changer for me and, and my career um, and I really wish that I had known that or understood that uh, much earlier on um, whether it was in vet school or just shortly afterwards I'm super happy with where I am with my career in the profession and, and being a part of veterinary medicine today um, but I think I could have gotten there maybe a little bit faster if I had mm. if I had known that aspect of it earlier on for sure. I didn't understand that and appreciate the value of it. I really didn't. Yeah, and it's 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 all too commonly neglected even today, which is very strange because yeah. if if we as you know veterinarians, veterinary students, if we're told to analyze trends and and look at research studies and you know understand that the data does exist, why is it that the business aspect of veterinary medicine is is often neglected, especially in the beginning stages. I mean, <laughs> I um, I think my jaded answer for that is that potentially that's not quite the strength of many of the individuals within academia building the curriculums. To be honest, that's that's my gut instinct. That's mm -hmm. my experience over the last three plus years. The primary role that I've been working in is involves a lot of partnerships with with universities and 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 administrators within universities. Um, and I think they recognize the value of it, but um, providing that opportunity or incorporating those aspects effectively into the curriculum maybe is at their strength, mm -hmm. right? They're the they're the smartest of the of the smart. You know, um, they're leading the profession, they're developing new research, they're advancing technologies. Um, and 
I'm so grateful for them for being able to do all those things because all of those things are absolutely outside of my wheelhouse for sure. I mean, if if, if we're relying on me to advance veterinary medicine, it's going to be rough out there. <laughs> like, let's just put it that way from from a bio, from yeah. a from a from a um, technology or a um, you know a pharmaceutical standpoint or you know whatever whatever that diagnostic whatever that may be. Mm. Um, that's not my strength. Um, that's that's certainly their wheelhouse and their you know what they're best at. But when it comes to um, maybe the value of um, understanding economics, understanding your own value, knowing how to effectively navigate the interview process, knowing how to set effective SMART goals for yourself, knowing how to develop a network um, and you know, developing your EQ so that you're able to leverage those skills much more effectively and navigate um, the world outside of academia and transitioning into the workforce. I think that might be where, where at least in my opinion, that that gap might lead, or that might that gap might exist, and um, it's a little it's a little unfortunate. And I think that there are a lot of of leaders within the within the universities that are that are really working to to improve that opportunity for their students. I think Peter Weinstein at, at Western is probably case example A would mm-hmm. probably be number one. Um, um, Jim Weissman at Purdue is another great one as well that comes to mind right off right off the top of my head, and I'm sure there are others. But I think big picture, you know, there's a lot that has to be included in the curriculum to become a veterinarian and and get past the navly. Let's just call it what it is, mm-hmm. um, and being effectively able to navigate the interview process or build a network with people um, or set some goals for yourself or know what your value is day one when you walk out probably isn't the top of the list, and it's probably it's a little unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, of course, I'm I'm not blinded by the fact that this is only four years, right? It's only four a, years. A veterinary school. That's right? right. So it's like, it's a time thing. It's, it's um, they of course want to teach you the best, most current, recent update sure. medicine, yep. right? Um, but I think um, if I were to kind of speculate, the concept is, is really thrown around almost lightly where they say, and, and you could argue either way with what I'm about to say, but um, they say good medicine, you know, basically produces good business, right? So good medicine, good business should follow good medicine, right? But the problem, I think, with that mindset is <laughs> yeah. if you don't know anything about business, yeah. your medicine isn't going to matter. Yeah. Someone has to fill that gap for you. Yeah. And um, you're missing out on a, on a on a large market, which, again, it goes back to value. Yeah, it really does. It goes back to value. I think the other aspect of it as well is that I know at least for myself when I was in school, there was a decent portion of the curriculum that was dedicated to business in some way. I mean, we took a like a two week course that was dedicated to it, which like you said, in the grand scheme of four years <laughs> in the yeah. grand scheme of two four, weeks doesn't sound that good. In the grand scheme of four years, that's not much, but it's a lot more than I got in terms of dentistry. And that's mm-hmm. where I spend a lot of my time at the yeah. end of the day as well, right? And so I mean there, we could argue about, you know, mm-hmm. you know, weightedness of different components of the curriculum probably for yeah. three episodes, which is, you know, if you want, but that's mm-hmm. probably not probably not the focus. But I think it's not just about presenting it, but it's about being receptive to it at the time as well. Like, I don't know that when I was there, I was in the mindset of understanding that, right? Mm -hmm. Like I was always in the mindset of, I don't know if I'm going to be a practice owner. So do I need to understand this aspect of it? Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's maybe a challenge that students run into with their perception of like the VBMA and other organizations, you know, that are similar. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not, it's not that, you know, business skills and business acumen are 
requirements and benefits only for veterinarians that are going to be practice owners. Mm-hmm. That's not the case at all, right? It's for every veterinarian that's in any aspect of the industry, whether you're in public health, whether you're in private practice, whether you're in research, whatever it may be, the basic concepts of what your value is that you bring and what ROI looks like so that you're not giving away your services for mm-hmm. free um, is is universal across the board. Um, and that was something that I, I know for myself sitting in the classroom, I, I didn't understand or at least wasn't, wasn't ready to perceive and understand. And again, if I could go back and do it all over again, I might have maximized the time, whatever however limited that was, right. um, maybe a little bit more effectively. Yeah. I mean, you hit on some great points there because um, for me, see, when I when I think business, I almost use it loosely because yeah. you are your own business, sure. right? So you're, you're your own advocate for this. And like you said, you may be giving away services that oh, yeah. you could be charging for. Oh, yeah. Or you may set me, maybe selling yourself short, um, maybe on a contract that you signed, maybe on a conversation that you had. So like all of these soft and hard skills, like you go back and forth yeah. and you're like, what is the most important? Right? Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's even, I think it's even simpler than that. Like, I think when it comes to like the greatest, like missed opportunity or the greatest loss of potential value for yourself that mm-hmm. I see in clinicians all day, every day, um, is, um, and it, it goes into what AHA is really focusing on mm-hmm. now as well, which is kind of better utilization of your team members around you. Mm-hmm. It goes back to a lot of veterinarians being absolute control freaks mm-hmm. and not being willing to give up the wheel mm-hmm. at all, right? Anytime that you're spending in the clinic diagnosing, treating, and prescribing, um, you're not only doing someone else's job, which means that you are then likely doing your job after close, mm-hmm. which definitely leads to burnout and contributes to burnout, um, but you're not effectively leveraging your value for that organization or that practice or that hospital or whatever it is that you're a part of, right? I mean, you, the majority of the time, the more time that you can spend throughout the tour, the end of the day, maximizing your skill set and leveraging the things that you are best at, mm-hmm. right? And then encouraging and empowering the team members around you to leverage the skill sets that they're best at. Mm-hmm. That is when you maximize your opportunity and your value for yourself. That's regardless of what your contract looks like. I'm not talking about a percentage point here or there on a contract. I'm talking about if you are in a practice setting and you refuse to let your team members place catheters and draw blood. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like there are tons of clinicians that are out there that do that because they're just absolute control freaks mm-hmm. more or less, right? That's not your job. Yeah, It's not, right? And that's a lot of time that you spend throughout the course of the day doing someone else's job. Um, which is lost opportunity, lost value for yourself, whatever organization you're working for. And then at the end of the day, the take home for yourself and your family. Yeah. Time spent equals money wasted. There you go. <laughs> yeah. There's only so many hours in the day, right? And I mean, the more of them you spend doing someone else's job mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we're always going to do ours still yeah. too. But then a lot of clinicians spend a lot of time doing their job after close because they spent a lot of time throughout the day doing somebody else's job. That's kind of my, that's yeah. my two cents of what I've seen from a lot of practices. And it's, and it's such a difficult road because just in the small few clinics that I've been in, you definitely see that. You see certain veterinarians uh, delegate better than others. Sure. Uh, there's three things that that veterinarian should be primarily focused on. There you go. And that's the only three things that they're allowed to do that a lot of other technicians... Diagnose, treat, and prescribe, basically. <laughs> exactly. Yep. That's all she They can cut. That's right. <laughs> so, I mean, if you're if you're focusing on those things and you're, you're creating a team environment that bolsters, uh, you know proper utilization, you're soaring. Yeah. Your your practice is going to be not only 
your ROI is going to be insane because you're going to have all this extra time. You're going to feel better. You're going to take on more cases. Uh, you're going to be more likable because- Leave on time. It, <laughs> but there's the likability. That's a winner, right? Your clients will like you and your coworkers yeah. and your employees. Yep. It all- um... It all really mixes together, right? It's all part of the the same challenges that we're seeing in in veterinary medicine today, and um, I, that's why I really um, am excited about kind of those aha recommendations that have come out when it comes to kind of the um, the the leverage and 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 usage of your paraprofessional staff, your team members, and kind of those guidelines and recommendations for for how to do so and how to do so effectively. Um, I think that. Those guidelines might be might be eye opening for for many of us, or or at, at minimum, great reminders of things that we should be doing on a consistent basis that that we don't always want to give up the reins to do. So, and it's it, it you you hit on the head when you said the control freak thing because oh, yeah. it gets my wheels turning. Yeah, and um, I understand uh you know a, a certain sense of controlling a situation, of but I think. Uh, encouraging a situation is a little bit easier for everyone to get on board with. Sure. Yeah. Like who wants to be, who wants to really be told what to do every second of every day? Yeah. Especially yeah. when you're competent in areas that you know you can do. Yeah. Um, it's hard. How does, how does one bring up those conversations with their, with their owners, their bosses? How does that technician, let's say, kind of say, Hey, you know, I, I, I got this. Yeah. I got this. Yeah. I think it's probably, it probably stems at the end of the day from um, setting the tone for a culture of collaboration and allowing positive feedback realistically, right? Giving feedback, receiving feedback um, is difficult. It's a skill that has to be learned. Um, there's no doubt about that. And um, it's not easy for people to receive feedback in many cases, but setting that tone and setting that culture within any workplace, within any work environment where um, team members feel that they're on equal terms and have the opportunity to present um, opportunities that they see to to improve upon something, change something, or even provide feedback on something that isn't going well that they would like to do differently is really the first step in creating an environment where you can have that continuous improvement that you're that you're searching for. Nothing's ever going to be perfect. Mm. Um, they still call it work for a reason, yeah. right? Um, so. But that doesn't mean that we can't strive to get better. And I think the first thing that is necessary when it comes to that culture as a leader is to be open to receiving feedback yourself, providing that to your team members, um, public praise, right? And then, um, and then providing that you know more constructive feedback in in private is is certainly um, is certainly the way to go. Um, but being willing to to listen adapt to the feedback that is provided by your team members and then empowering them and following through on it is is really critical um, to helping to elevate their skill set um, and hopefully allow you to do the things that you actually want to do and, mm -hmm. and spend your time on and that you are trained to do. Um, so again, that you can get out on time and, and hopefully then your team members enjoy their time as well. Again, like you said, I mean, they want to feel empowered. They want to know that, hey, this is this is my domain. This is my wheelhouse. Your job is to get in there, cut and close up. I'm in charge of everything else before and after that. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's hard to give up those reins if you don't feel hundred percent confident that those individuals can do that. So, um, I think that's where a lot of veterinarians and even myself got ourselves in trouble for a long time. So mm -hmm. it's really about, okay, how can I train and elevate these team members, um, to, to that high level of medicine and that high level of care that we really want to, um, expect for ourselves and our patients and our clients. And then once we get there, 
great, that's wonderful. We're going to continue to check in, hold people accountable, um, and and verify that that those things are still going on. But we got to let go of that wheel sometimes too. And that's the hardest part for for for. Oh, it's way easier to say than it is to do. Exactly. Talk is cheap. Oh yeah. Yep. Um, you know, I I recently listened to another podcast and uh, someone came on and they said they they were talking about essentially how to call somebody out mm-hmm. air quotes up for you guys. Right? I see. And, um, she flipped the script and she, she has this, this whole entire, uh, system and ba- essentially she, she has it by calling people in. I see. So there, there's no one wants to be called out. No one says, thanks for calling me out. Yeah. You no, know, after something bad happens. Of course. Yeah. You know, no one's thanking you for a huge mistake. Let's say that. They of course. Did, sure. But, yeah. um, the receptiveness of calling somebody in and like you said, acknowledging and following through yeah, and, and leading from the front is sometimes lost because we're, we're human, right? We're going to, we're going to react on emotion sometimes, you know, we have feelings. Sure. We're going to, we're going to think we know better. Um, we're going to hopefully, uh, remember that, that our staff is, is extremely essential to the operation. That, yep. That, Veterinarians would not exist without um, everyone from the receptionist to the technician to the kennel attendant yep. to the bank. Yep. So, and the client. But, um, you know, being able to call somebody in, I think, and it's something that I'm working on, uh, is really nice because you you get a sense of, of caring and empathy and respect and pride in your job and, and your, in your coworkers, yeah. you know. It's one thing to tell somebody that they're doing it wrong, and um, it's it's another way to encourage them how to how to fix it, right? Yeah. And how to move forward together. Yeah. Because I mean, at a certain point, these veterinarians that they also have to claim a little bit of responsibility. Oh, for sure. And and sometimes they we're don't. not perfect either. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're 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 going to make mistakes too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and so it's it's encouraging to see in in the certain practices that I've worked in so far, you you get a sense of. Hey, this is a small, this is a small circle and whether you want it or not. Like I know people hate using the word family, right? And that's probably could have very, different con- yeah. con- connotations for a lot of people. Very dangerous word to use in the clinic. I, I don't like using it in the clinic, but yeah, um, you really are, you, you really are working really closely together. Yes. You, you should feel confident yeah. in each other to, to call each other in. Yeah, and an say, effective team for yeah. sure. At minimum. Yeah. I Whether mean, you're a family or not, that's debatable, but yeah. for sure you're a team. There's yeah. no doubt about that. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. It's just, it's, it's amazing to see uh, different perspectives, I guess, yeah. on that nature because we're losing so many veterinarians, you yeah. know, from a multitude of things. Yeah. And me going into the field, it's, I'm kind of, like I said before, I'm, I'm in a bubble looking out. And I'm going, wow, what it, what all is changing? Yeah. And and what all can I foster in changing? Yeah. I, I think um, I've been very appreciative and learned a lot over the last several years from some great mentors and a leader within my practice, or excuse me, within the within my organization. Um, and they use the concept of, again, public praise and private candor, right? Um, and um, there's been plenty of, private candor moments for myself, right? Where, you know, my, my leaders, my bosses have, have pulled me aside and said, Hey, you know, I know this wasn't the intent here, but just so you know, this is how this was perceived. Right. Um, and those, those are learning opportunities where they're, they're not easy to hear when, when that happens, but 
Um, it's all about, are you willing to accept that feedback? Are you willing to grow from it? Are you willing to try to get better? Are you willing to hold yourself accountable to then go to whoever that person was that may have been put off in some way by, by whatever the, the scenario may be? Um, hold yourself accountable for it and then try to make it better for the future, right? I, don't, I think holding ourselves to a, a level of perfection isn't, isn't rational and isn't, isn't expected either. But I do think what is reasonable is to always be willing and open to feedback, um, hold yourself accountable and, and make that effort to continuously improve and get better. So, yeah. And, and you, you hit on important topics there, especially that of mentorship and, yeah. and the importance of mentorship and the push that the mega push in veterinary medicine of mentorship, yeah. you see every single company Buzzwords. Uh, promising a mentorship program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, again, that's another dangerous word that uh, you really need to follow through with. Sure. And find out, you know, if you if if you're a first year uh, graduate, you know, and you're you're you already signed a contract or you're signing one fourth year and you're looking for jobs. Yep. And they have this mentorship laid out. Go deep. Yep. Go deep into the mentorship. Yeah. And uh, say, hey, can I do work week? You know, work interview. Can can I see it laid out? What What do you mean by mentorship? Define it to me. Yeah. Explain it to me. Show it to me, and um, break it down for me. Because, like you said, it's it's a buzzword for a lot of a lot of new companies. Of course. And um, it can be a trap. It can be it can be a, a trap for you, um, or it can liberate you. You yeah. know. So, it's um, it's nice to see that mentorship is on the rise. Yeah. And um. I'm really curious to know, so you've been a mentor and you've been a mentee. What are the most crucial and, and important aspects of being being a, a great mentor? Yeah, so I've been very, very fortunate throughout my career to have several great mentors um, that I've worked with, um, two of whom in particular that have been mentors for me for the last six, seven plus years. Um, and I usually tell everyone that I meet that they, they fundamentally changed the course of my life, my professional career. And then that impact that they had on my professional career, my professional happiness, it, it connects to everything else too, right? So then that impacts your personal happiness. It impacts your financial freedom, right? They're, they're all linked. They're all, they're all connected. And so I think when it comes to and those two individuals, they've really inspired me to try to pay it forward too. That's why I like working with students so much. And that's kind of how I evolved into the into the job that I currently have. To me, when it comes to um, kind of really building an effective kind of mentor and mentee pair, really it kind of comes down to a couple of fundamental concepts to me. The first is the both of those individuals have to be fully invested in helping each other achieve their goals. It's not always a one-way street, right? Um, you're going to get about as much out of a mentorship experience as you're willing to put into it. Um, and it's okay for that mentor to get something out of it as well, whether it's the satisfaction of helping to see someone kind of, you know, excel and grow in their career. Maybe it's the satisfaction of helping them avoid a situation that they were in professionally. That's, that's kind of what one, some of my motivation, right? The first, first employment opportunity that I had kind of out in, out in practice, i I really wasn't mentored very well at, at all, but, um, and so, you know, helping to, to guide individuals and avoiding, avoiding that situation can provide a lot of satisfaction for them. But then again, to see them grow, to learn things from them as well, um, can be incredibly valuable. You don't know how well you know something until you have to try to teach it to mm -hmm. someone else. Right. Um, so both individuals really need to be invested. Both of them need to know kind of what the goals are that they have. 
for each other that they're trying to get out of it. Um, and frankly, the the mentee needs to have a teachable spirit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I am happy and I am willing to try it, pay it forward for anyone um, and to give you some of my time and the knowledge that I have. Um, but you've got to, you've got to put some energy into it as well. If you want to be a great clinician, if you want to be a great veterinarian, you can't do that by just acquiring a whole bunch of cases. That's not how that works, right? You've got to be able to build that problem oriented approach and skill set. And if we run into a case and we find that there's a hole as a new graduate veterinarian in your knowledge, let's say it's your first diabetic case. You're just like, oh my gosh, like, Dan, I, I don't know where I need to go with this, mm-hmm. right? Like that happens mm-hmm. sometimes, right? It really does. And a good mentor is going to guide you through it. They're going to get you to the finish line, no problem, right? But my expectation then is that before that patient comes back for its recheck in the next week or whatever, whatever that time frame is, Garth, my expectation of you is that you're going to go back and you're going to fill in some of those holes yourself, mm-hmm. right? Like I expect you to put in some effort to be a better clinician next week when that patient comes back for its diabetic recheck than you were today, mm-hmm. right? I'm not upset that we we found that diabetes was a weak spot for you, right? Mm-hmm. But if it's still the exact same level of weakness a week from now, that's on you, brother. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you, right? Like, you've got to put in that energy and that effort too. And I've had the opportunity to mentor and train a lot of new graduate veterinarians. And some of them have really embraced it, taken off, and you know, really don't have any limitations on their career whatsoever. And many of them, in my experience, kind of limited themselves because they weren't willing to put in that extra layer of effort afterwards. And to me, that was a major differentiator between those that really took off and embraced that mentorship experience versus those that were more just sitting back, hoping to be trained by someone, which I don't think is the same thing as being mentored. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think that that's just a a lack or a kind of a lack of communication between the mentor and the mentee older older like generations i guess because you see like movies and tv shows and you hear stories and my first job was horrible like it's this common trend that you hear my first mentor was not it didn't work yeah it didn't exist it was non-existent yep is it the lack of communication is it the respect is it the taking the reins too much because like you said those you just told me what you expect if i were you know your mentee yeah so do you do you think those conversations are being had at the mentor mentee level? I think, they, think they're I expected. Think, I think the biggest problem is that they are almost never had at the interview level. Mm-hmm. That's what I think the biggest challenge is, right? All new graduate veterinarians come out knowing that they need to be mentored and the vast vast majority of them want to be mentored. The vast vast majority of employers now know I need to mentor these new graduate veterinarians. But the definition of that and what that means for each employer and for each individual candidate is completely unique and completely different, right? And so that's where, you know, you were speaking of diving deeper into those questions, right? What does mentorship mean for you and your organization in this practice? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. What's the time allocation going to look like? Who's going to do it? Have they done it before? Can I talk to that person, mm-hmm. right? Those are the questions that I think should be asked in the interview process and my greatest challenge and the thing that I try to encourage new graduate veterinarians all the time and the thing that makes me the saddest is it is so, so rare for them to ask those questions in the interview process. I get the opportunity to interview 100 plus new grads a year, realistically, mm-hmm. at this point. The vast, vast majority of them, when I ask them, what questions do you have for me? 
they usually rarely have any questions whatsoever because they're just hoping to get a job. Mm-hmm. That shouldn't be the goal. The goal is to get the right job for yourself. Mm-hmm. And the only way that you can do that is to think about what you want, what you need, and then identify, can this practice, can this mentor, can this organization help me get where I want to go? Yes or no. The only way that you can figure that out is if you know somewhat what your goals are and you've kind of defined those before you go into the interview process. And then you have some questions that are ready, that are specific about the ability, the desire, and the commitment of that practice, that mentor, that organization to actually mentor you to help you get where you want to go. Again, reciprocally, you should be willing to give something back, right? You should be willing to put in that time and energy into that organization, into that practice, into their clients, into their patients to help that practice grow. That's what that mutually beneficial relationship is about. That's what an effective mentor-mentee relationship is. My two mentors that I've been working with for six plus years now, I've worked my butts off for those two guys Mm -hmm. for six, seven, eight plus years, however long it's been. But they do a ton for me and my family too behind the scenes and they are always looking out for me, Mm -hmm. right? It's mutually beneficial, right? In the same way, you've got to prepare by knowing as a new graduate going into that interview process, think about what you want, think about what matters to you and come prepared with some questions to really effectively assess how am I going to do that? I think that's a huge mistake that new graduates and especially during their fourth year, students make all the time. They're just like, I'm going to go to this place for two weeks and I have a two week externship and we're going to see all the holes that are out there, right? That I've got, because nobody can hide who they are for two weeks. Mm-hmm. That's true. But mm-hmm. if you're standing there just observing people and you haven't actually asked the tough questions, mm-hmm. then you still might not know the answers, right? Yeah. Like it could have the, this practice might have the greatest culture in the history of culture, right? And they might be super welcoming and they might have all the toys and you might have a wonderful mentor. But at the end of the day, like if your skills that you're looking to grow and develop, whether that's clinical, whether that's professional, whether that's business acumen, whatever it is, if that mentee, if that mentor, if that practice doesn't do that and you haven't asked specifically, can they, will they, and are they able to do so, then you're still going to be disappointed. Yeah. And a year from now, you're going to leave. Mm -hmm. And that's why... New graduate veterinarians, 25, 30% of them aren't in the same spot a year after they graduate as when they were, when they had an opportunity to interview at a place for two weeks. That is insane. Yeah. When you go out after that, you're never going to have a two-week working interview again the rest <laughs> of your life, right? <laughs> so I think one of the biggest challenges is that we as veterinarians and employers are generally terrible at interviewing people, right? Because we never spent any time with it. You mentioned to me, like when you were trying to organize this podcast, you're like, I didn't really know how to interview people, <laughs> right? Like. It's true. It's a skill set, right? And we're running around our practices or our hospitals or, you know, our ambulatory service or our research lab or whatever it is. And we've got a million fires Mm -hmm. that we're trying to put out. And then we kind of sort of remember that there's this candidate that's coming. "Ah, I don't know if it's this week or next week or, oh, wait, it's this morning, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever. Let me scribble down some some notes and a question or two on a post-it note, right? Mm-hmm. That is an impressively terrible way to prepare for an interview, mm-hmm. right? You got to put in time, energy, and effort into it. And I mean, you've got to figure out a good list of questions to identify in three hours, half a day, a day, whatever it is, whether this is the person that you want to work with side by side in the same building, 40 plus hours a day, hopefully for the next three, five plus years, mm-hmm. right? You better have some good questions. 
written down and ready Some to go. Good intuition, right, right. And both the empo- both the employer should, mm-hmm. and the interview and the candidate should sure. as yeah. well. And I think that is a major gap and a major challenge that we run into, um, where you know employers and employees are just kind of hoping that the fit feels right, yeah. right, but not always digging deep and asking the tough questions about their goals, about their interests, about mm-hmm. the time and commitment that they're going to help to get each other to achieve those goals, right? Um, and I think that's where a lot of disappointment leads. And then people end up on the, you know, spinning on the wheel of, of let me look for another, let me look for another yeah. opportunity, right? And you, you do that only a couple of times and pretty soon you feel kind of jaded about vet med and you leave, yeah. right? Well, vet med doesn't really suck. Mm-hmm. Vet med is amazing. Mm-hmm. There are so many opportunities that are out there, but they rarely just fall in your lap. You have to go out there and you have to find the right one. And that's really difficult if you don't know exactly what that looks like because you haven't slowed down to think about what you want, what your goals are, and put some questions together for you so that you can more effectively manage that interview process. And that's really what I try to kind of communicate to, to, to students that I'm connecting with on a regular basis. Yeah. You know, if you if you want it, you'll do the interview by a pool with a lot of loud noises and wind and anything in Florida. There you go. Right. <laughs> yeah. We just had a little, bi- a little biplane action go over the top here. I don't know if we got crop it's, dusted. Some but... ASMR going on. Yeah. The, but it's all good. Planes. Yeah. No, but you, you make you make really valid and reasonable points. Yeah. And it really is that give and take in an interview. But I really think that the business owner or the the, the veterinarian doing the interview is the one that's going to suffer the most because... Like you said, that interviewee will just go and look for another job if they maintain those red flags. Sure. And um, word of mouth travels extremely fast, especially when it's bad news. And you could have your practice tainted because of something that happened in, let's say, those two weeks, right? You sure. Said it's, it's pretty hard to hide uh, some some big holes in, in two weeks. Yeah. You can hide certain things. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. There's some really, really sneaky individuals that you got to be careful with. What can those interviewees... What are their red flags in a mentorship? What what are the, what are what are some maybe keywords or some some ideas where you're like whoa 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 you got to break that down or, yeah or step back yeah I think I think probably the easiest is to start asking the right questions in terms of open ended questions rather than yes no questions mm-hmm. right it is so easy for you Garth to come and ask me damn will you mentor me mm-hmm. right yes sure right sounds great mm-hmm. no problem right. Um, so you got to ask those open-ended questions. What does, what does mentorship look like to you? Um, what does the structure look like? How do we hold each other accountable if, and when this doesn't happen? Because a lot of times there's that breakdown that occurs because veterinary medicine is a time suck vortex. Mm -hmm. Let's just call it what it is. Right. And so who's the going to be able to help hold us accountable if, and when whatever structure we've decided upon isn't happening for some reason. Right. Does whoever's getting mentored get compensated for it, right? Those are all reasonable questions to ask for sure um, that I think um, a lot of times individuals maybe are afraid to ask, don't ask, um, but I think those would be great opportunities to, to sit down and, 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 and ask. And then frankly, like, hey, kind of lay out for me what you think this first two weeks is going to look like, what the first three months is going to look like, what the first six months is going to look like. And then stop talking mm-hmm. and let them lay it out for you. And it's going to be pretty easy to see, are they kind of shooting from the hip and making it up as they go? Do they have a plan that's well-defined that they've actually thought through a little bit? You know, I think that's a great opportunity to really see 
how much time, energy, and effort have they put into this? Or did they just slap the word mentorship on whatever, you know, advertisement that you saw that got you into that interview somehow, right? Whether that was AVMA or social media, or you met someone at a career fair or at a poolside bar or whatever, right? You know, and um, I think that's a great way to dive a little bit deeper past the, into the mentorship question for sure. And I hope those listening that are that are curious about uh, mentorship really understand the importance of it on a practical level, on a, on, a, on a business level, on a and on a personal level. Sure. Because yeah, again, I go back to us being human. Like you said, you know, you got mentors that helped your family. Of course, uh, that help you maybe emotionally, spiritually, yeah, financially. Hey, can I borrow fifty bucks? Yeah. Uh, but you know, you you get you get all those all those pieces to your puzzle of life and you try jamming the wrong piece the wrong area you're you, you're gonna burn out you're gonna fall apart you know that important network where people say you're a combination of the five people closest to you and you need to have a good support network when not only when things are great but when things are bad for you or your sure. family um it's nice to know inside an industry that someone can understand you. That someone knows you. Oh, for sure. Just your role in veterinary oh, medicine. Oh, so, for sure. Yep. Um, I'm excited to uh, make great relationships with with people in this industry that matter because I don't have time for bullshit. I, I, I'm tired of it already. I know I, I sound like a 90 year old man here, but get on um, my lawn, yeah. <laughs> I'm like the old guy from Up. Okay. <laughs> I just I I really want to culminate positive vibes. Yeah. Um. And talk about the negative vibes. Like yeah. get get those out there and, and how can we how can we you know think, make the industry better? I think the good news, honestly, I I I truly believe this. I think the good news is that the vast, vast majority of people in veterinary medicine are really, really good people. Mm-hmm. I I yeah. honestly believe yeah. that, I, right? I, I mean, like, I don't know. You have to be a good person to right. want to like, help animals. No, but right. Like, like nobody yeah. goes and goes through the time, energy, and effort to become a veterinarian or get into the veterinary industry as a paraprofessional team member, mm-hmm. whatever it may be, because their big goal was to get rich this week, right? Like exactly. that. And if they did, then yikes, <laughs> yikes, right? <laughs> so, so I think it's it's reasonable that, like, you know, they're it, the vast majority of individuals are in it for the right reason. Right. The challenge in my experience is two things. When you're looking to build that network, when you're looking to um, find a mentor, when you're looking to have a great clinical experience Mm. as a student, whatever that may be, although the individuals and the professionals that you're working with are genuinely kind, great, giving people that like giving back either to their clients, to their patients or to the profession overall, Mm -hmm. they are really bad at being telepathic. Mm -hmm. Right. So you just have to tell them what you want and what you are looking for and be bold and be brave. I told this to one of your friends, Allie, the other, like months ago, I was like, just sure. be bold and be brave. The vast, vast majority of the time, once they know what you need or what you're looking for or what you want or your desire, they will want to try to help you in some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Right. But if they don't know what that is, then, you know, then it's not likely to happen. It breaks my heart when I hear about students that go into a clinic. I'm going to do this externship that I've really been looking forward to for two weeks. Um, and I really wanted to do, 
I really wanted to build on my ClinPath skills. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, pick your skill that you were looking for, right? Mm-hmm. And they didn't have the courage to say that at the beginning, mm-hmm. right? And instead, I waited until Friday afternoon of mm-hmm. my second week because I finally felt yep. comfortable enough with Dr. Smith to yep. tell him or her that that was really what I wanted to do. And hey, can I look at some of the ClinPath, right? Mm-hmm. If Dr. Smith had known that at 8.01 on Monday morning of the first day that she were there, he or she, I guarantee you, would have made an effort over the course of the week to provide those additional opportunities for you, right? Sure. And if they didn't, then they're one out of 100 people in veterinary medicine that are not nice and you move on with your life, yeah. right? And go work and spend your time and energy with the other 99, right? Like Learned a lesson. Right. Yeah. And so, like, be bold, be brave. Let people know kind of what you need or what you're looking for, but be willing to reciprocate, obviously, in Mm -hmm. kind, right? So Mm -hmm. that's number one. And then I think when it comes to the negativity and that type of thing, that's where, unfortunately, I think, you know, the platform for negativity is is loud and out there. And you can can either choose to engage with it or you can choose to ignore it, I think, are kind of the main options that are that are there. And I've kind of. I've kind of chosen the latter for myself personally. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of wonderful things in my um, professional life, in my personal life that I choose to put all of my energy into. Um, and I've elected to ignore the naysayers and the ones that are negative. And I, I put all of my energy into the other 99%. That's That's my perspective on it. And it feels good to do that, though. And it's hard. It's I'm hard. telling you, it's it's not an exaggeration. Like yeah. there are great people in this profession. There yeah. really are. The vast, mass majority of them, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the one of the big reasons. And we talked a little bit earlier about why I want to do this platform. Yeah. And, and keep it going. I want to encourage those that are interested in the field. We have an ever dying field, which is is horrible to even say. You know, I want to encourage those that are in it you know, in the beginning of their career to, to stick with it and, uh, advocate for advocate for yourself. Yep. And, um, also want to thank those for who are on their way out and, uh, hopefully they're not on their way out too early Yeah. because that's, that's the other issue we're seeing is COVID really turned a, a lot of veterinarians into retirement. Sure. And it's understandable. It, it happened in a lot of careers. You yeah. Know, forced my dad into retirement from the fire department. So, yeah. you know, it was just, a very unfortunate um, event, and I, I really just, like I said, my audience is so broad right now, and the, as I continue through school here the next two years and graduate, I really want it to be made for, you know, by veterinarians, for veterinarians, and I want it to be a platform where we can discuss important topics like the one we're talking about today, which is mentorship. And um, I think if we are ignoring all the negativity or observing all the negativity and saying, hey, it, it exists here's how we combat it. Yeah. Here's how we can rise above it and um, encourage each other. Yeah. Because I mean, like you said, no one, uh, not no one, that's hard. I'm trying to not use those uh, those words. A lot of people, Yeah. they don't want to, they don't communicate well, right? Sure. It, and and it's hard, you know, you, you go into the interview process, you go into first job, you go into uh, feedback. Yeah. You know? Those are hard lessons to learn sure and you could learn it the hard way yeah uh, or you can be a little bit more prepared yeah especially because again it's it's not something that is easily jammed into a curriculum that's packed with oh yeah you know everything and everything mm-hmm. right and, and you know you're 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 in the throes of it right now right and i'm sure you're drinking from the fire hose left mm-hmm. right and center for 
whatever the flavor of the week is, mm-hmm. um, that that's really valuable too. There's no doubt about that because it's it's a requirement to uh, to be an effective clinician of you know whatever whatever path that may be. But you know, developing those professional skills that mm-hmm. EQ it's probably just as valuable for sure. Um, you can always go up and go and look up a list of differentials for PUPD. Yep. You, you can, it'll always be there. And ChatGPT can probably throw it out, spit it out for you on your phone, mm-hmm. you know, in, I don't know, a microsecond or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, can you walk into an exam room and can you make a connection with yeah. a client right away because you saw that they had a 49ers hat on mm-hmm. or whatever and ask them about how Christian McCaffrey was looking this week, right? Mm-hmm. Or... Um, can you build that instant trust with them? Can you build that connection and that rapport with those team members where you trust them, they trust you, they can provide open feedback for you. You can help train them and elevate their skill sets such that you don't have to compulsively control the clinical situation all the time. And you can let go of some of those things that really should be within the the realm and the ownership of your paraprofessional staff mm-hmm. so that you can focus on the on the things that that should be kind of your your control and your domain right? All of that, that's not in a textbook. Um, It's just not. But those are often the key differentiators between the most highly effective clinicians in in clinical practice that I've seen um, and those that are, you know, develop into the leaders for for their practices and for the businesses that they're a part of. Mm -hmm. Um, And eventually that, you know, that leads to the financial success for them as well and financial freedom. And I know we're a lot of times it's almost taboo or we're kind of afraid to to talk about finances in many cases too but I think it goes back to what you were mentioning at the beginning it's it's really more of a value discussion right like if you can understand your value um and and be appreciative of that then you know those are the steps to to create that final financial freedom that we all deserve as yeah. as veterinarians frankly and and I think our veterinary professionals um deserve that too but you know it I mean you're looking at it right now school's not cheap by any yeah. stretch of the imagination, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, you deserve the opportunity to um, earn an income for yourself and your family where you can pay off that debt, where you can buy a house, where you can vacation when you want and you don't have to um, stare at the checking account all day, every day, and you shouldn't be ashamed and you shouldn't be bashful of it, right? Um, you guys are super, super smart. Um, you're incredibly talented. And um, and leveraging those professional development skills and that EQ um, is really one of the key skill sets to maximize that opportunity for yourself and your family. And and you you keep hitting on EQ. I want you to kind of just give our listeners a little bite of ah yeah, of your your EQ ability. Yeah. So, one of the greatest books that I ever read was um given to me by my mentor um when we were going through some professional development stuff as i was making a transition from an associate veterinarian to a, a medical director a leadership role within one of his practices um his name's dan mark walter is um is one of my longtime mentors and we read the book the ideal team player by patrick lencioni um super easy read you could read it in two hours for sure um super fun super easy and really insightful. And it was really about um, identifying some of the three key factors that were the most impactful in that person that you were looking for to add to your team, regardless of what position that they were gonna take on um, and how you could effectively interview for those things, right? And so 
the three key factors that Pat Clincioni, the author, came up with were one, your hunger, right? So that goes back to your hunger, your desire. Are you going to put in, Garth, the effort and the energy to be a better veterinarian tomorrow, next week, and next month than you are today, basically, right? That diabetic case, right? When we run into that challenging one, are you going to go back that next night or two nights later or whenever you have a little bit of time off and just read up on some of your old notes about diabetes and refresh yourself, yes or no, right? Mm -hmm. That's basically the deal. Bucket number two, humility, right? Mm -hmm. Do you recognize that you can learn from everyone within that team, right? Whether it's the old gray haired dude that doesn't have much gray hair like myself that's, you know, seen a lot of cases upside down and sideways, right? Or maybe it's that clinician that's two or three years out that's really thriving and mm -hmm. excelling and killing it. You're like, I'd be like her, mm -hmm. right? That front desk staff team member that can remember every single client's name when they walk in the door or calm down that fired up client no matter what the situation or the scenario is, right? Or that technician that can drop in that catheter, one hand tied behind their back all the way from across the room and the 18-year-old shriveled up cat, mm -hmm. right? You can learn from all of those individuals. Are you humble enough to recognize that you can learn from all of those individuals on your team regardless of what the what your team is made of, um, uh, you know, what kind of team setting that mm -hmm. you're in? And the last one is smart. Not IQ smart, mm -hmm. EQ smart, mm -hmm. right? Those professional development skills, do you do people want to be around you? Can you engage with them? Can you build connections with them easily? Every single person that gets into and certainly gets out of veterinary school with a DVM, you have the IQ. That's not what I'm looking for. That's not what I'm evaluating for in the interview process. It's that EQ. Can you develop that connection? Um, do people want to be around you? Can you be a quality team player, right? When you're there during that interview process, how are people interacting with each other? How are you interacting with them? Are you only talking to the veterinarians or are you talking to the paraprofessional staff as well? Are you helping them out, right? When a patient, you know, you know, soils in the in the front lobby, right? When you're there during the interview process, do you just stand there and look at it or do you go over, find a mop, clean it up, find where their caution sign is, drop that down there and then get back into the interview, right? Like be a normal human, mm -hmm. right? Like those are the things that I would be looking for as an employer mm -hmm. um, in in a candidate for the future in terms of someone that I wanted to add to my team. And those are the things I'm looking for individuals to demonstrate during the interview process. Mm -hmm. I'm going to assume everyone has more or less the same level of clinical aptitude, sure. right? How well you quickly grow, how well you excel is all going to be dependent on those three buckets. Yeah. And you're more inclined to want to hire those people because it is a lot harder to teach someone emotional traits or, sure. you know, uh, personality traits. Yep. It's, 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 it's a lot easier to teach someone about diabetes than sure. it is to how to talk to a client. Sure. Of course. And it makes your life a lot easier too. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's something I, I know a lot of people say personalities can't be, you know, taught, right? But, um, they can be developed though. Exactly. Yeah. I was going to say they, they can, you can definitely work on them and enhance them and sure. And, and reach out to mentor that. Yeah. Can, and it you doesn't, know. you don't have to change who you are. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, still, still be you. Mm -hmm. Right. But recognize some of those things that you can improve upon, whether it's body language, whether it's eye contact, mm -hmm. whether it's, um, how you're presenting yourself, whether it's the language and the vocabulary that you're using, um, mm -hmm. when you're communicating with a colleague versus with a client, right? Absolutely. We have to use different vernacular when we're, when we're, when we're doing that, right? Like, please, Garth, never go in there and use the word uremia in, a, mm -hmm. in an exam room, right? Please don't do that. Mm -hmm. 
the clients will nod their head up and down. Yes. Like they yeah. know what you're talking about. They have no idea what that means. Mm-hmm. Right. And you, you know, you have to recognize and be aware that, that, that is not the setting to use that, to use that vocabulary, right? Mm-hmm. Your job is to help understand what's going on and explain it to your client in a way that they understand and that they can trust so that they can make an educated decision for themselves and their, and their pet. And then you can help support them in whatever that is. But, but that's your role for sure. Well, Dr. Phillips, I really appreciate those, uh, very astute observations, you know, yeah. You've had you've had the journey, and and I'm really appreciative that you take time out of your day in the sunny uh, Orlando. Oh, I'll do it in a second. I know it's, it's kind a little of cloudy. Not. It's a little cloudy right <laughs> now, but nasty. it's all good. Yeah. But um, these conversations are important, and they need to be had more often. Sure. Um, on and off the mic. So I'll do it all day. Um, I have one. Actually, I have two. La- I have two questions for you. Here. All right. Okay. First one. Give give one sentence here for. For each, each I'm a talker, questions. so one sentence That's, could be tough. I know. We'll see how this goes. I'm putting you in uncomfortable situations. All right. I like how it. you grow. <laughs> yes, it's a professional <laughs> development opportunity for me. I've learned yeah. your views yeah. here. So, um, what's one thing you say to a veterinary student right now? Be bold, be brave, and learn your goals. Okay. Now, what's one thing you say to a first year graduate? Be humble, hungry, and smart. And what do you say to the veterinarian that's on his way out or her way out? Have you paid it forward? I love that. Go back and rewind those, listen to those three again. That that was good. That was that was, that was that's, good. That's felt that felt. I feel deep. like I owe you something for that. <laughs> I think you got a twenty in my wallet. That was pretty good. Well, um, I also have one last question. All right, uh, this one's pretty serious. If you were any animal, what would you be and why? It is pretty serious. I I want to say that I would be a dolphin. They always just look like they're having fun, mm-hmm. right? And I I really like just enjoying life. Like I love my life. Like I really do. I'm probably not as happy as dolphins mm-hmm. all the time for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but they always look like they're having fun. Mm-hmm. They're always playing. They're always in groups mm-hmm. for sure. Um, and. They look the incredibly athletic, yeah. which I wish I was. Yeah. So yeah, we pile all those mm-hmm. things together, and yeah, for sure, I'm going dolphin mm-hmm. all day. I respect that answer. That's yeah. different. That's the most different answer I've had on the show. All right, I've heard a lot of cats. Have not heard a lot of dolphins. Dolphin, it is. I'm Bottle sticking with it. Final answer. <laughs> You're locked in. I am. Well, again, I I really appreciate this, and I yeah, know man. our listeners are going to get a lot out of this, and they're going to have a lot of questions. So, cool. How can they reach out to you? Sure, yeah, for sure. So, uh, the best way is definitely by uh, by email. So it's uh, Daniel dot Phillips at m as in Mike vet as in veterinarian partners dot com. Daniel dot Phillips at m dot com. Yeah, all right, and yeah. I'll drop that in the show notes. Thanks. And, uh, Let's get back to the VMX conference and have a great time. I'm excited. Let's do it. All right. Take care, brother. Awesome. Another amazing episode on Veterinary Vibes, the podcast where we vibe so you can thrive. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and even on Spotify. Drop that five-star review, share some of the content, and also hit us up in our email at veterinaryvibespodcast at gmail.com. We will see you again next week for another amazing episode. See you later, alligators.